Imagine having the life of your dreams. Not temporary cash and glory, but happiness and inner peace. Explore new ways to be a creator and take your own journey into greatness. Is it possible? What does it take to make that happen? It takes the person known for extreme results. He's called the cage breaker and the ultimate catalyst. Coming back from the brink of death and now crushing it for himself and his clients, this is your Ultimate Life Podcast with Kellen Flukiger. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Your Ultimate Life, the podcast dedicated 100% to helping you achieve a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy that you create by serving with your divine gifts. And today, I have a guest, Robert Riappel, who it turns out is just a little ways away from me here in Alberta. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thanks, Kellen. And yeah, how cool is that? Fellow Canadians, only like literally an hour drive away from each other. And we had no idea. I had no idea where you were. And then you said something about your home being in Alberta. And I thought, I'm going to wait till he tells me all the details and then say, I'm in Edmonton. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we both picked uh, the beautiful Phoenix for background today. Both of us have experience with rising from the ashes. And purpose, prosperity, and joy is a choice, not an accident. So the first question I want to ask you, Robert, is if you look in your heart, what is it that drives you to travel 200,000 miles a year pre-pandemic to share a message when you have achieved what many could think of easily as a very significant success, independence, prosperity, and so forth, yet you do this work uh, and and all of the work that is required, what drives that in your heart? Well, you know, I'm a big believer that um, we are all have a reason to be here. You talk about the purpose driven. And that saying that drives me is use it or lose it. And I know I have a gift to share. And if I don't share it, and I figured this out and I really got that kind of Kellen in, in 2008, I actually stepped back because of I was burnt out from training so much. And I went from overliving my passion to not living it at all. I went from one extreme to the next. And the one year I was going to take off ended up being three and a half years because I was burnt out. And I went through two back surgeries because I wasn't taking care of myself. And all of a sudden, I started having some of the old negative non-supportive habits come back in that had me living a life I didn't like. And all of a sudden, it came to the point where, wow, I haven't been training for three and a half years. I said I was going to take one year off. It's stretched on. I got comfortable. And I don't think I'm living my gift anymore. And I was miserable. My life was going back downhill. So, uh, you know, I I made a decision and it came, you know, it's interesting how it came is the decision came when I was going to help my in-laws who lived across the street at the time. And I left my house. I was walking up to help them out and I helped them. I'm on the way back. And all of a sudden, right in front of my driveway, a couple comes walking out with a dog and I love animals. And I said, is she friendly? And they're like, no, she's not. And it was a big bull mastiff. said, we just rescued her. We're rehabilitating her. And I said, not a problem. I stayed on the sidewalk. They stayed in front of my driveway. We talked for a while. Eventually, I slowly went up, knelt down. She um, smelled my hand. I was able to pet her head, pet her neck. No issue. Until the moment I went to stand up. And I don't know why, but the moment I stood up, she lunged for my throat. And luckily, my chin dropped as I stood. And she got my chin instead and proceeded to try and drag me to the ground. And the only thing in my mind was, if I she gets me to the ground, I'm dead. So I stood up. She's hanging off my jaw. The guy had to briar jaws off of me. 
And in that, you know, basically from that experience, I went, wow, I haven't been lifting, living my gift. One inch further, she would have got my jugular. And in that moment, I knew I had to start training again because it is my gift. And within two weeks, the company I'd been contracting a lot to, they were calling me, asking me to come out of retirement. And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm there. <laughs> I definitely will. And so that's why I will never quit living it as I've experienced what it's like, like not having my purpose be out there for people. You said something in that description about negative, non-supportive habits returning. For many people, it isn't returning. It is a constant stream of the, you know, the inner critic or the relatives or the circumstance they find themselves in that creates a cascade of negative, non-supportive behavior. And talk more about that when you, when you, as you train, you're going to have people who don't believe they can do what you describe. Mm -hmm. uh, when you don't live your own life, as you described, that returns. Tell us a little bit about negative, non-supportive habits for a minute. Maybe your own, maybe others. Like, what is that that engulfs us so much that keeps us from realizing our potential? Yeah, absolutely. For me, I realized it came, uh, and what I've learned is it comes from your programming as a child, what you learned, what you heard growing up. And you don't realize how it's lodged in that subconscious. And given the space, they come out. And you make all the decisions. And one of the biggest things I implore people to do, work on you. Start working on you. If you're not living the life you truly want, ask yourself, where can I learn? And not just surround yourself with like-minded people. And for years, Kellen, I, I was a big believer in, hey, I, I'm in a room full of like-minded people. This is awesome. But then one of my mentors, and I'm a big proponent, have mentors, have coaches in your life. One of my mentors, he changed the paradigm for me. He said, Robert, think about it. If you're at a bus stop with five people waiting for a bus to go to the mall, you're like-minded. You're all waiting to go to the bus. He said, so if you're surrounded by like-minded people who are complainers, you're going to be a complainer who have negative beliefs about themselves. You're going to have negative beliefs. And of course, I figured he had the answer. I'm like, well, then what's the answer if it's not like-minded? He said, surround yourself with growth-minded people. Because one of the biggest issues of, that I found is when you're trying to solve the problem on your own, that's the problem. And so a growth-minded person, the difference between them and a like-minded, a growth-minded person will be the person that's there to applaud you when you're doing well. They're the ones that will be there to help pick you up when you've stumbled. But probably the most important role I've found that they play is that they're the ones that are willing to have those difficult conversations with you when needed. Like, why are you playing small? Why aren't you stepping up? Why did you allow them to tell you you were no good and get away with it? Having those people in your life, that allows you to battle through that negative, non-supportive belief system. And it takes work. Oh my goodness. I've now been training around the world for over 20 years and I still work on me every single day. Because the moment so, I quit work on me, I'm done. I, I want to go into that work on you every single day. But before I do, I, you started when we were just chatting a little before we got on here, you talked about uh, your own journey of being in debt and of, of having stress and so forth. And you went to a, a three-day, I think you said three-day seminar, and you came away with some beliefs. Can you talk about what those are, those beliefs for a minute? Because I think they underpin the notion of sovereignty and our ability to create the life we want. So what did you learn in that seminar? Yeah, absolutely. When we walked in, we were over $150,000 in personal debt. 
We had been franchisees with Domino's Pizza for eight years at that point. We weren't enjoying it anymore. The debt was building. The stress was beyond belief. And just out of circumstance, we ended up getting invited to an evening that changed our life. And from the evening, we went to the three-day. So we walked into three-day, stressed out beyond belief, over $150,000 in debt. And the biggest things I took away from that three-day event were, number one, understanding why we're in debt, the way my wife and I are spending money, our habits, all of that. Number two, probably the most important is we took responsibility for our debt. See, I was really good at blaming others. It's their fault. They lost my investment. It's because of this I lost money. It's the government. I'm not making enough. I'm not being paid enough. Whatever it was, I was good at blaming. And so the moment I started taking responsibility, both my wife and I, that changed everything. And then the third thing is we had action steps that we walked out with, that we made a commitment to ourselves that we want a greater life. We want that ultimate life. And it's going to take us working at it. So we left with a commitment that we were going to start putting into place what we had been learned and um, taught and, and the conditioning we had received in those three days. And that's the why we got the results where nine months later, at the age of 32, we end up retiring completely financially free after being over $150,000 in debt nine months earlier. So I'm sure everybody's curious as to what you did, but we'll get to that in a minute. You, you said you looked at your own money habits and we all have a relationship with money. And like many things, it was formed with the language of childhood. We can't afford mm -hmm. this. No money doesn't grow on trees. Rich people are bad. You know, all of the kind of language programming that, that gives us a, a flavor of the religion of money. I mean, money by mm -hmm. itself isn't anything. It's just an agreement. It's a tool. And yeah. And we've created <laughs> a religion around it and there's the problem. Uh, and whatever flavor of that religion you have colors your relationship with that tool for your life. So you learned that your habits of using that tool weren't effective and that you took, you, that it was not only appropriate, but empowering to take responsibility for yes. your actions with that tool. And then you took a set of steps now, I'm sure there are lots of ways that people teach to take steps, the kinds of concrete, specific, one after the other steps to manage any area of life, but particularly money, since that's one that troubles a lot of folks. What yeah. was the program, if you don't mind sharing, just yeah, in terms absolutely. of the, the steps, the flavor, what was the path for you? Yeah, for, well, number one was simplifying our life. My wife and I realized that as we attained success, being Domino's Pizza franchisees, our spending habits went through the roof, both being the youngest of our families and from poor families. The more money we made, the more money we wanted. We wanted instant gratification. We want to have, like one of our stores was in Kelowna, BC, just outside of Kelowna. Hey, we're on a lake. We should have a boat. So we went and bought a boat we couldn't afford. And funny thing was our busy season for that store was boating season. So our boat sat nicely in our driveway looking awesome with all of its expenses, and we never got to use it. So it was, what don't we need right now? Sure, we may want it, but if we were to simplify our life and get rid of those expenses and reduce our monthly expenditures, as well as focus on then, how do we generate revenue without having to work for it using passive incomes? How do we do both of those at the same time? And we made some tough decisions where we said, what don't we need right now? Because there's two types of wants people have. There's true wants and there's ego wants. The ego want is that usually that instant gratification have to have it now. In our society, especially today, with our cell phones, with all the instant social media, it's easy to go, I want this, I want this, I want this. 
But now every financial decision my wife and I make, we go, is it we truly want it and we can afford it? Or is it just something that we think we'll enjoy? And we have conversations before we make big purchases and even small purchases. Because look, those little ones can make all the difference in the world as well. It's only 25 bucks. It was only 10.99. Won't make a difference. Sure it will. And it's having that awareness and really taking a look at our financial day by day. Every day I look at my financials. I look at where my money is. I look at how it's working. If it's not working hard, I'm moving it. I don't get emotional about it. I follow systems and I just go, yep, I'm only making X number of percent here. But if I move it here, I'll make X number more. Let's make the move. And we make our decisions based on that now. So that's fabulous. So you reduced expenses, you re- you identified and eliminated uh, things that were not really necessary, that were wants out of conditioning and not wants out of a true want. And you added a real important qualifier. Can we afford that? Because there's lots of things we might think we really want. And, <laughs> yep. you know, if you look at the price tag, I wonder if different decisions would be made if instead of the number of dollars were on the price tag, if it were uh, hours, 500 mm. hours away from your kids, mm-hmm. 500 extra sleepless nights worrying about your finances, yep. 60, you know, 67 months of barely or not being able to meet your bills. If that were on the price tag, maybe we'd, we'd do something different. I totally agree. And that's exactly it. And, and so because I love to have a great life, the other part of the equation was, how do I make more money? Right. Because I want to be able to have that ultimate life of not just leaving, living barely in the means. I want to have a great life. So it's not only keeping my expenses down, but it's how do I, and that's why you know, I love the saying, you will be paid in direct proportion to the value you give. And so if you're not making as much money as you'd like to make, find a way to add more value. But, and I, of course, here's what comes up all the time, Kellen, people are like, but Robert, I'm already working so hard, I don't have any more time. I'm not talking you have to put all the time in. How do you leverage? Are you partnering with people? What are you doing that allows you to get your value out to more people so you get paid in proportion to that? And that's why even when I came out of retirement, I went from being at home only two days a month on average. I was traveling so much before the um, 2008 when I took the time off. When I came out of retirement, I said, I will not live that life again. Away, like the only reason it worked, my wife traveled with me almost everywhere. But I got burnt out still. So I said, when they asked me to come out of retirement, I'm like, look, I'll do 20 trainings a year, maximum, no matter where in the world you use me. That way, even with all the travel overseas, I still take six months a year off because I like my time off. I like being home. That's the ultimate life I want is to be able to be with family. So make those decisions of what you truly want and then be willing to fight for it because I will never, ever, ever tell someone it's going to be easy. You've got to put the work in. But if you do, watch how amazing it can be. So nobody, uh, we're going to talk about the idea of falling up a mountain in a minute because uh, <laughs> you don't fall up the mountain, obviously. But if you talk about the increase in generating money, increase, passive income, income streams, making your money work hard, all of those are language for that people use investments, either crypto or uh, real estate or life insurance or, you know, different kinds of tools. 
which what tool is the company you have? I, and we're not doing advertisements particularly, no. but we are. The readers are, or the listeners are going to be curious what method you use that provided you that vehicle for success. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, T. Harvecker, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. And that's mm-hmm. the information I still teach around the world. That program, his book, which, you know, I was there at launch uh, um, with, because we helped launch it. And the programs that I teach around the world of his, they changed my life. That's why I love teaching other people the same stuff. Because it works. Secrets of a Millionaire Mind. Okay. So, good. I've heard lots about that before. And it is certainly an effective and powerful thing. When you cha- – let's talk about the, the hard work first. Mm-hmm. You've said two or three times, you know, it's a lot of work. You were working hard when you were in debt and you were running <laughs> some franchises for pizza. So yeah. you were working a certain number of hours, 50, 60, 80, 100 hours a week. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's a big number, a scary number. And then you went to working to climb the mountain – because nobody falls up the mountain that you got up. What was the difference in working really hard one way and working really hard the other way? Why was it different for you? Because I was following my passion. And that, that was the reason I was willing to do, you know, people say when they see me on the stage, they go, Robert, how do I do what you do? And my answer is, if you want to do what I do, be willing to do what I do. And if I didn't have the passion for what I do, I wouldn't put in the study behind the scenes. I wouldn't be willing to fly 30 hours around the world to go and do a three-day training and then fly 30 hours back. I wouldn't be willing to study and learn and keep growing myself. But because I am so passionate about the life I have, I'm willing to put it in. And I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, most people are working hard anyway, but they're working hard at being miserable. They're working hard at being broke. Yeah, I don't think people sit around a lot with their feet on the desk counting dots in the acoustic tile. Exactly. You know, they're, they're busy, but they're not doing productive things, and they're certainly not doing enjoyable things. So when you say study and the, the kind of effort you put in to go teach, talk a little bit about the study. Like, what was the work you yeah. were doing? Because sure. people can imagine running a pizza store or two or <laughs> ten of them and having, you know, that, that's not hard for someone to... Think, okay, I know what that would be, inventory and food cost ratios and labor costs and, you know, franchise fees and real estate. So talk about the other kind of work. Yeah, so when my wife and I first retired, we went, if this information gave us that result, what would more learning do? And we became avid students from as many masters as we could because I'm a big believer. Don't just learn one way. Don't just learn from one person. So we started studying as much as we could. But then when I knew I wanted to be a trainer, it was how do I find a mentor. And one of the ways that, you know, and you've got to be creative. You've got to be creative. In my book, I talk about the second step to success is you've got to find a mentor or someone to model. And so because I went to my mentor and I said, would you mentor me? And he said, no, I don't have the time. And it would cost you about a million dollars. I got shut down at first, but then my wife, you know, let me go through my pity party for a bit. And then she said, isn't there more than one way to get mentored? I'm like, yeah, sure. How? She goes, well, we're already volunteering. Let's volunteer more because then you get to watch him on stage and you get to model what he's doing. And my wife and I, for two and a half years, volunteered at 30 plus events a year around Alberta and BC and then into the US as they expanded. And we, at our own expense, we would travel, we would be there, we'd volunteer. And I was, I was learning, I was ingraining. 
And one day, and I love to tell people, it's amazing how five minutes can change your life. Because in 2002, all of a sudden, at one of these events, my mentor said, Robert, come here. He said, I need your help. I need to put you on stage for five minutes because I've got to write a new program. That five minutes changed my life because he had never put someone on stage to do that for him before. And from being there, you know that saying, that um, opportunity favors the prepared. If you're putting in the work and you're there and you're prepared, because he put me on for five minutes, all of a sudden, he then had me start bringing students back and doing warm-ups. Then he had me delivering data. Then I became the first person to ever teach his program other than him. I had 1,200 students in Los Angeles in 2004. From there, I've now gone on to teach over half a million students around the world. And it started with me being willing to volunteer and pay for my own expenses to be there, to be of service. Not what am I getting out of it, to be of service. And then when I started training, my manuals are all this thick. 16, 18 major courses I teach. I know them inside and out, but I still study like crazy every time I go to teach them. So that kind of dedication is is not surprising to me, but it might be scary to some people. But I want to call the listener's attention, and I want you to comment on this. Think about the effort that someone puts in to be at the Olympics or to be on a podium in any kind of sport or in, in a musician, a musician like I have had a mentor uh, who, a voice one. I sing and I have been in a choir that charted on Billboard and all this stuff. I, I, I have put in, I don't know how many hours. That guy's an A-list, you know, vocal coach. And I can't count the thousands of hours that are behind the rehearsals, not just mine, but any musician or any yes. athlete or any of those people that have got to those places. Nobody falls up the mountain. No, they don't. And, and you said something. You said, you, if you want to do what I do, you have to be willing to do what I do. Now, that's a cute cliche phrase. And I want you to take some minutes, a couple of minutes, and just unpack that. What is mm. the do what I do? Tell me what your morning routine is. Tell me what you, how you study. How is yeah. it that you revisit these manuals again and, and again so that you can get more nuances and more connections and a smoother and more powerful delivery? Talk about, oh, you can do what I do if you're willing to do what I do. Talk about that. Absolutely. Yeah, well, let's start with the morning ritual. When I'm waking up in the morning, I'm aware of my first conscious thoughts that are coming to me. If they're negative, non-supportive whatsoever, I catch them, I put them aside, and I replace them with something that supports me. Because how easy to wake up and go, oh, today's going to be a crappy day. If that's how you wake up and that's what you believe, that's how your day is going to be. So I'm aware of that, the first thoughts. When I wake up, I don't grab my phone right away. I take about five minutes and I just write my five or six or seven successes and or gratitudes from the day before. I start my day in gratitude and recognizing my successes. And I, when I get up, you know, a lot of people are like, well, if you want to be successful, start at five, be up by 5.30 every morning. When you're running a Domino's pizza and you're not closing till one o'clock in the morning, you're not getting up at 5.30 in the morning. I don't care who you are. Pick your time to be up every morning and get up at that time. Commit to it. You'll train your body to start you that way. And so then I get up and I start my morning with trainings or calls because it puts me into the right mindset. Now, I, I teach people what I call the four currencies of life. And one of the currencies is you have to hamper yourself because if you don't take care of you, how can you take care of others? So one of those things, ways of pampering is before I put anything else on my calendar, 
my wife and I sit down and we put time for each other, time for ourselves. The things that grow us, we put on the calendar first. And so you have to get and get creative with this. So as an example, people go, well, Robert, why are you willing to fly to Asia? 33, 35 hours from door to hotel. Why? And my one of my reasons is very simple. A, their passion to learn over there. They're not feeling entitled like, unfortunately, a lot of Americans are and Canadians are. So I want to go to the students that are hungry. But my hidden secret is when I step on that plane, if I'm on a 12-hour flight, that's my time. I don't do business. I watch movies because I love movies. I read because I love to read. Eat good food and drink great wine. That's my time to rejuvenate me so that when I hit the ground, I know for the next three to four days, I'm on stage up to 12 hours a day. So I've got to make sure I'm prepared. So I honor myself that way. And then when I hit the ground, it's all business. I'm in my room. I'm studying. I'll go for walks. I'll you know make sure I take breaks. I'll meet with the staff. I'll let them know how much I appreciate them because it's not just about me. If I don't have a great team supporting, I will not be as effective. And I, so I'm there to how, how do we make it successful for everybody? That way, when I'm on the stage, I'm there for the students. I'm not in my ego. I'm not in my mind. That's my motivator for studying more, Kellen, is because if I have to think about what I'm going to say, I'm disconnected with my audience and I'm missing where they're at. I'm not seeing if something's landing, especially because it's so much is translated for me. You know, I've had up to six languages being simultaneously translated. If I'm in my head, I'm not going to notice if someone's not getting because maybe it wasn't translated properly. So that's my motivation for putting that work in. And when I'm done, when I'm training, I don't eat red meat because it just bogs me down too much and I need energy for 12 hours in the day. Um, I don't drink alcohol. I honor me that way. But when I'm done, I want a big steak and I want a glass of scotch. <laughs> that's how I celebrate that I completed because if I don't celebrate, how can I be motivated to do it again and keep going? Because it can be tough and hard. So you said a couple of things that I want to repeat and unpack. Maybe not unpack, just repeat. You talked about pampering yourself. Mm -hmm. Often there's a confusion between self-indulgence and self-care. And mm -hmm. caring for yourself, like I say, you can't love anyone more than you love yourself. I say you can't care for anyone better than you care for yourself. You can pretend and you can go through the motions, but it's all a bunch of crap. And the idea Absolutely. that caring for yourself is selfish is a bunch of crap. Mm -hmm. Because think about the creator, however you envision that to be. God, whatever that is, created you with love and care. How do you expect that he would want you to take care of yourself? That's exactly it. That's and exactly so I love that you said that. Yeah, and, and, and people will go, but they're being self-centered. In my opinion, they're centered in self because they know what it takes to be able to do what they do. If you want to be great, think of, a, think of um, uh, uh, Michael Phelps. I remember watching an interview where he was talking about his day and a lot of his day he spends playing video games because when he's not training and he trains like crazy, he needs to just close his mind and have fun. That's the other, one of the other things I do is when I'm finished with training, I also want to sit down and watch a movie so I can go mindless. So I don't have to think. I can just clear my mind and just enjoy something. That's, those are the things I've learned that work for me because if I don't, I can't deliver. And I love that you brought up a voice coach. I just recently got a new voice coach because even 20 years of doing this, 
oh my goodness, she's teaching me things I never knew and helping my voice get stronger. Because when you're on stage for 12 hours a day, by the time I'm done, my voice is like this. And then I get more stressed because I now focus on it. And she's helping my voice get stronger, which allows me then to have less stress there. And she's like drilling in proper rest, proper rest, proper rest. And I'm like, but if I step off stage at 11 o'clock at night, I can't sleep till one. I'm still wound up. Then I'm up at seven getting ready for the next day. How do I rest? And the little thing she's telling me to allow that to happen is changing my, again, my presence on stage, which means I'm now impacting students even more. What a beautiful payoff. I want to go into one more thing before we uh, wrap up. And, and that is this. You talked not only about self-care, but you talked about being connected. So I say create your ultimate life by serving with your divine gifts. So you have mm -hmm. a gift of communication. You have a gift and a passion to help people achieve, take control of their lives, their happiness, and achieve financial independence and so forth. But one of the things you said is your complete mastery of your material allows you to be present with all of the different people, the translators in the audience, and to understand if true communication is taking place as opposed to just puking information all over their paper. And so you, your presence, I'd like you to talk about the focus on being present and being out of your own head and self. So you take care of yourself, but when you're doing it, you're doing your presentation, delivering your gifts, whatever they are. For you, it's this, this thing, this course. But whatever your gifts are, as you watch this, being out of yourself and present and connected with those receiving. So talk about that for a minute, please. Yeah, and I'll give you the example of a practice my wife and I use. If I'm on the other side of the world, one of our um, commitments to each other is we will still connect, even if it's for only five minutes a day no matter how tight, um, tired we are. And we love using FaceTime instead of just by voice. Because, and Kellen, I know you can relate to this. How many times have you actually been talking to someone and they may be there in front of you physically, but you know their mind's a thousand miles away processing a bunch of other stuff. And so the, one of the practices we do to be present in that moment, because for me, if I'm talking to you, I'm here with you now. Am I aware of stuff going on around me? Absolutely, but I'm here with you. And so when my wife and I connect, if we notice one or, the, one or the other getting distracted, our mind starts to drift. We don't get upset. We simply say, come back to me. And that's our subtle hint to go, oh, you saw me drifting. Thank you. Because it does take practice being present. And so I want to know, I want my audience to know that when I'm there and what I teach trainers is I say, when you're with an audience, have a conversation with them. Talk to them. Don't talk at them. When you're in your head, you're talking at that verbal puking you're talking about. Be there, focus on your breath, being that moment. Notice how are you feeling? What are you noticing? What are you seeing in the audience? And that's why one of my rituals, and you know, going back to my um, habits, when I go to a country, when I land, I love to, on, you know, I'm usually there a day in advance, I love to go and get on public transport and get lost. In India, I love going and getting little auto rickshaw, tuk-tuks, and just enjoying the, the amazingness of their traffic. Talk about true wizardry, how they are able to fill every space and flow without getting upset and having accents. It's amazing. So I'll go and I'll just connect with the culture so that I can let go of what's the worries or anything going on in my head so that as I get ready for an event, I can be there 
present in that moment. And yes, does it mean sometimes compartmentalizing and putting someone aside for a moment? Absolutely. But what a great break when I can truly be present. And, and that's my practice now is how can I be more present more of the day in everything I'm doing? Even when it's taking my pet pig outside and she doesn't want to go outside for the day. Is instead of getting upset at her, come on, Gracie May, let's go. You know, if I'm present with her, she knows it. If I'm not, she knows it. And so it's just practice, practice, practice at that. It goes back to the choice that we have about the sovereign choice about creating our lives. So mm -hmm. I want you to end with something, and I'm sure you get asked this a lot. So a thought for the for the fearful, a thought for the worrier, a thought for mm -hmm. the person that thinks that what Kellen and, and Robert are talking about is so true, but, but, but probably not for me. Like, what would you say to them? Two things. One, one step at a time. Take the little steps. One of the reasons people get overwhelmed is they're a thousand steps ahead of themselves trying to figure out how everything will work. Take a deep breath in, come back to present and ask yourself, what's one step I can take in the direction I want to go. And then two, I believe that the greatest gift that anybody can give this planet is to be themselves, whatever that looks like. And so authentically show up, quit thinking you have to be someone else because I grew up being that people pleaser and the energy I wasted trying to please people and be something I thought they wanted me to be from my perspective. When I realized here's who I am, either you like me or you don't. And if you like me, that's awesome. If you don't, that's awesome. Because now I put my energy for the people who like me for who I am. And all of a sudden I'm amazed at the people that I get attracted and the more energy I have. So take those small steps and really just show up authentically. Because yes, there will be people who don't like you for who you are, and that's okay. There's 8 billion people on the planet. The ones that love you for who you are are the ones that are going to show up more. And that's going to energize you. So I want to give everyone the opportunity to find you, uh, to, to learn where to learn more about you, to connect, follow what you do, understand, perhaps attend one of your trainings. So give us all the good information about how to do that. Well, look, Gallen, because I believe your time is one of your most precious commodities and you were so gracious to have me here and interview me and your audience is gracious enough to listen to me banter on, I actually have a gift from us to them. If they just go to robertreopel.com, my name, they can actually download my international bestseller book, which is Success Left a Clue, as our gift from them. But of course, it comes with a caveat. When I wrote the book, I wrote the book as, an, as a workbook. I don't want someone to just pick it up and read it and put it down or take it and put it on the shelf and make it shelf help. That doesn't serve anybody. I wrote this book as a workbook. And what I want people to do, yeah, with my background, you can't see it, is it has action steps all the way through. Do the action steps and I promise it'll change your lives. Don't just download it and go, yeah, it was free. It's a gift that I want people to use. And from there, they're going to be able to find out what I do and follow me and, and um, you know, interact if they, at whatever level they'd like to. I love that. Things don't do themselves. The world, You don't get push-ups strong by watching YouTube videos of people doing push-ups. Or you don't fall up the mountain, all those funny and cute phrases. Thank you, Robert, for sharing your wisdom, your time, your heart, your passion, and your commitment with us today. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. I want you listeners, viewers, to understand Robert didn't get blessed with this without work. 
It didn't happen automatically. All the steps he took, he took by choice. And you can too. And the last thing he told us, one step at a time. In this moment, right here, right now, do what is in front of you. If you do that, I can promise you'll make great strides every single day toward your ultimate life. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope that you take it deeply into your heart and decide for yourself how you can create anything you desire. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. As always, we'd love to hear your feedback and topic suggestions. Until tomorrow, this is Your Ultimate Life with host Kellen Flukiger. Stand with your heart in the sky and your feet.